And at this point, William's going to come and he's going to, to read God's word. And then he's going to share with us some of his work in the Belfast City Mission. Now, looking at, at William, I didn't say this in Ballanderry, but uh, William and I were actually were in school together. And um, we're actually very close in age. There's only one year apart. I'm not saying who's older, but um, maybe he will. <laughs> I've aged better. Um, Folks, it's lovely to be with you this morning here in Mays. I've heard so much about it. AJ keeps telling me, you should get down there someday. And in the providence of God, I was brought here today because you're having stew. And that's, that's great to, to know. But we're here to worship God. And I trust that what I have to say might be a blessing and a help for you as individuals and as a corporate bunch of believers here in the Mays Church. I'm going to read from the book of Ruth um, in chapter one, if you want to follow um, just the opening few verses, Joshua judges Ruth. Um, I'll read the first, and I have my double glazing with me. Read down the first uh, seven verses, and I'll just read one verse at the end of the chapter. We know the story really well. It's the story of how God pursued a pagan girl, someone who wasn't a Christian, you could say. Um, but by his grace, he brought her into the family of God. And I suppose that's all our stories, isn't it? Uh, we were deeped in sin, we were outside the family of God, but God in his goodness drew us to himself and by grace we are saved. So first one of chapter one of the book of Ruth is this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Epaphrodites from Bethlehem, Judah. And he went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard of Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out in the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. And the last verse of that chapter says this, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem as a barley harvest was beginning. And we know and we trust God will bless that reading to us. As I said, this story is well known to all of us, but I think it gives us a little bit of an insight into the work of the city mission in Belfast. I'm not going to give you a sermon. I'm sure you'll be glad to hear that as such. But I have three things that I do want to mention that we see from this story. It begins with tragedy. But in the end, it ends up with triumph. And that is so important. We find that at the start of this story, there is a food crisis that leads on to a family crisis. And finally, we have a faithful conversion. So it's not too hard to follow as such. This story begins with a family who are in need. Famine has come to the land and to the city of Bethlehem. And these people were hungry. And so the father, this man called Limelech, decides 
the best thing for the family is, is to move home. Let's go to somewhere else and let's find food. In the surface, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But we find that that food crisis would lead to a family crisis because it wasn't very long after they went to this foreign land, this land of Moab, that death came on and fight it and unexpected into the family. And there's no one here today hasn't been affected by death. We all know what that's like. But can you imagine the husband dies, the breadwinner, and the two siblings, the two sons also die. Very, very sad. They had married at this time. And one of those who was married into the family was this young girl called Ruth. And she wasn't from the family of God. She was an outsider, you could say. But she pursued or she wanted to find out about God and God and his goodness uh, brought her to a point in her life where she became, as we would say today, she became a Christian, a follower of the one true living God. I work in the city mission, as you've already been told, posh accent. I don't live in Belfast. I live in God's own country. That's Randallstown. And I still live there. So I do travel down to the city. I've been with a mission for 13 years, not as long as AJ. AJ's been there nearly 200 years or, or so. But I've been there 13 years. 10 of those years were spent in Sandy Row Mission Hall. And almost three years now will be spent as, as heading up the mission um, after the retirement of Mr. Bobby Brown in July uh, 2020. I, uh, took over from Bobby, probably about the worst time ever to take over uh, the running of anything because we're in the middle of the first lockdown uh, because of COVID. Uh, and that was a, in itself was a struggle for, for, for me and for the men in the halls. But we, we persevered like yourselves. And when the opportunity arose, our halls opened again and we commenced our work in the city mission. We have at present 15 halls across the city. We had 16 up until at uh, the end of December, when unfortunately we had to close one of our halls, it's a, a wooden hall, and uh, insurance were advising us against continuing in it for insurance reasons and a fire hazard. So we took the decision uh, to close up. We're still working in the area, uh, and that, but as we, I was thinking about what I would speak on for these few minutes, I used this book of Ruth. Because first of all, there's a food crisis. There was a food crisis in this family. I don't have to tell you today, there are a lot of families in Belfast and perhaps even here who are struggling because of the cost of living. They can't meet uh, the, the obligations they would like to meet. Uh, and to have that hard decision, do we buy food or do we heat our home? Do we put extra food on the table for the children, even doing without food themselves, or do they keep the house warm? Not easy decision to make. About seven years ago, I started a food bank down in Sandy Row. Um, I saw a need in the area and we started a food bank in conjunction with some of the other churches there and it's still going today. And year on year, that has increased. I wish we weren't there, I wish there was no need for it, but the reality is there's a lot of uh, social problems um, and so forth. And a lot, of, a lot of children are perhaps going to school without anything to eat. Uh, as you can see by my shape, food is very important to me. And I hate to think that someone would go without a meal. And so the food bank was formed and it's still running today. During the, the COVID crisis, a number of halls across the city decided they would uh, prepare food and they would take it out to 
vulnerable people, lonely people, the shut-ins in their districts, um, to provide them with something and to have contact, because there's a lot of lonely people in Belfast, a lot of lonely people in society as a whole. So that's what they've been doing, or that's what they did. Some have continued on to do uh, food uh, during their meetings in that day, to, not just to attract people, but as a way of using it to evangelize, uh, because you can speak to people more relaxed, I believe, over a cup of tea or a sandwich, or in this case today, maybe a bowl of stew and so forth. Through that work um, across Belfast, we have come into contact with people from all over the world. Belfast now, because the, the troubles of type have left behind, more people have come uh, to the city. We're getting them from all over the world uh, and that. And I've met, and personally myself, I've met a lot of people through that food bank um, where people have come from, from places that perhaps we've never really heard of. Um, and they've come and they've settled in Belfast looking for a better home and a better, better life. But the reason why we do the work in the city mission is not just to provide physical food, but spiritual food. Or number one aim, and it always must stay the same as this, is to see people saved to see people come to have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because nothing in this world is more important than having a relationship with God. You can have a, a very active life. You can have a good job. You can have a lovely home. You can live to your 90. They can give you an OBE or a JCB, put a stud job or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, if you do not have Christ in your life, reverently speaking, you've wasted your life because you have nothing for eternity. So that's why we do what we do. If the Lord spares us and he doesn't return and we're still here, in 2027, Belfast City Mission will celebrate 200 years of evangelism in our city. We're the second oldest urban mission still in existence in the world. Glasgow beat us by one year. And that's tremendous that God has kept us going. We're a faith-based mission. We don't get grants or anything like that there. And it's the goodness of God's people like this church who support us prayerfully and practically at Christmas. We have the appeal, and, and I know a lot of you have given into that. We have toys and groceries, and, and this last couple of years we had vouchers, and they go into homes uh, to the vulnerable. Uh, and perhaps, I think I was counting up, roughly over a thousand families will have had something from the Christmas appeal alone. So we're making connections with people right across the city. One of the things that I did when I took over uh, from uh, Bobby Brown was move the office. We were in uh, Glengall Exchange for 15 years. And during the COVID crisis, I went over to church house and I wrapped the door and a man came and I said, I wonder, could I speak to someone about getting office space? And through that conversation, uh, we got the opportunity to move our office back into assembly buildings. And I think that is a major step forward for us because the link with PCI is crucial, not just for the mission, but also for PCI as we work together. Because the reality is we have in our districts, we have a PCI church as well. And sometimes we're maybe duplicating the work that we're doing. We have skills because we're evangelists that maybe the churches don't have. At the same time, the churches will have resources and other things that we don't have. So we're trying to marry that up. And we're having talks at the moment. We're looking at a couple of projects that we might be able to, to roll out. Uh, and I think that will be good for all of us.
food crisis. And when you're sitting down with people, as the men will te- tell, tell me, and I'm talking to them, um, they get an insight into someone's family, dropping a, a food parcel round or whatever it is. And, and when you're sitting in their own home, per, perhaps they're a little bit more relaxed and they'll talk about what's going on. I, I remember a, a lady used to come to the food bank. She was a single parent. She had four daughters. Four daughters had four children as well. But she was a chronic alcoholic. And was very fond of her. And we would have, me and another lady would have gone up to her house and given her groceries. Sometimes she went up into the house, there was absolutely nothing in the cupboards. Other times the cupboards is still the food from the week before because she just was in a bender. She didn't, didn't eat. It was very, very sad. Unfortunately, that lady uh, died there just before Christmas. Um, she wasn't even 50. I think she was 46. Um, organs all shut down. And, and it's so, so sad for that. The family crisis in this family, we see that the father died and the two sons died. And death is something that we all have to deal with in the city mission where we're called to, to take funerals. And sometimes it's a funeral of a person we, we have no idea who they are. And, and that's very difficult. I remember taking a funeral at one time and only two people turned up. Two people. It was as if that man did not exist. And yet God had set his love upon that man as much as he created him as much as he created you. I worked with a, a hostel, I still do, in, in Sandy Row Utility Street, perhaps some of you know it. And up there there's 60 men with, with, with issues, obviously homelessness and other issues, maybe addictions and mental health. And, and right across the city the men will be dealing with, with people like that. Um, we used to bring them down to Friendship House, and you'll probably, people will know Friendship House. We used to have a breakfast for them. We did it in the, the City Mission on a Monday in Friendship House on a Tuesday. Monday, it was a healthy breakfast. It was tea and toast and cereal. But on a Tuesday, it was a fat boy's fry. We loved a Tuesday and that. And you got the men down in, they had a fry. And they just sat there and they talked about everything, the football, the weather. But always you get a conver- an opening in the conversation to enter just the gospel. We said, why did God allow that to happen or whatever? And then you could talk to them about it. And through that work, we, had, we have seen men saved, gloriously saved. Men from our province and men from overseas. I still try to go up to the hostel, although I'm more office bound at the moment, take up clothes for the men, get them furniture. We all get furniture. We all, families in our districts will phone us up. Can you get me a bed, a, a table, whatever it is? And we try to source that. So we'd try and get up and, and see the men. But we had a, a period over two years where 13 men took their own lives from that hostel. And it was very hard because you're sitting having a breakfast with them on a Monday and at the end of the week you were burying them. Some very young men. And you know, it gives you the reality that death is never far away from anyone. You do not know by the look on their face, what's going on in their lives. And that's why there's always an urgency for, for sharing the gospel. If you have a friendship with someone and maybe you've been friendly with them for years, there has to come a point in that friendship where you introduce the gospel. There must be. And that's what we try to do, introduce the gospel when the opening comes, those defined appointments that we pray for every Friday morning at the staff meeting. And God does open doors and God is still saving, I can tell you, in Belfast uh, today. We, um, we've had, as I say, people from all over the world 
uh, come down. I remember the, the breakfast with two men from a, a, another country from overseas, and they were very devout in their religion, so they wouldn't eat certain, they wouldn't eat certain meats, as, as you can imagine. But sometimes if one come down on his own, he was a backslider, he ate the full fry. So he did. Um, but you're working with people. But through that there, we have had people from other faiths coming to Jesus and getting saved. We have two men who work um, in the mission, and they would primarily work with people from overseas. They do English classes, they do one-to-one Bible studies, uh, and they would see people from different backgrounds coming to faith in Jesus. And, and you know, that's what it's all about. Uh, we, we have a, a, a large um, population of a particular ethnic group in the city, and God has been working through that group, and lots and lots of them have been converted. We we would, um, our, the, the two missionaries would, would tell us about what they're doing and how, how hard it is to reach the one particular uh, group. But there was a young lad uh, a few months ago did become a Christian from a, a Muslim background. Very difficult. He unfortunately got uh, beaten up by his own uh, family and friends because he had converted. And I got a phone call to the office to see if I could get him out of the city and that. And he came back in again. He got beaten up again. He was up at Christmas, at the, the, or appeal, Christmas appeal, and you know that young fella is on fire for Jesus. He will not denounce the Lord, uh, and it's so evident that he has got it. And you know, when someone gets it, and you see a life being changed, it's not just a him change, it could be a family change, a community change. There's a ripple effect um, throughout. And that's what we see actually in this story. We, we've Ruth was an outsider. And yet she was brought into the family of God. She came, you could say, from overseas. And when she came, she heard the gospel. She got converted. And, you know, we have an ideal opportunity in Belfast now with the amount of people coming from overseas is to expand those ministries to people who perhaps in their own country uh, never heard the name of Jesus as such, although he is mentioned in the Quran and so, but not as a saviour. And we praise God that that is happening time and time again. Over the, the, the years, the, the mission has kept the, the focus primarily on our halls within the districts. And people have been faithful coming to the meetings and so forth. But I don't have to tell you, we, we're facing new challenges. COVID was a, a watershed for, for churches and mission halls. Uh, a lot of people never come back. Some sadly died, others were just too old and too frightened to come back, and that is, we understand that. But it's given us an opportunity to see what we can do, how do we reach people in different ways. So we're looking, looking at that, um, how our, our plan moves forward, and it is hopefully moving forward with a link, as I said, with PCI. Uh, when we looked at projects and, and things, we have identified these areas, and hopefully very soon they will be rolled out. I was challenged one day speaking to church down the country. And a man, I was actually quite embarrassed by it, but it happens at the door sometimes. This man says to me, you're Belfast City Mission. I said, yes. He says, why do you not evangelize into nationalist areas? I had no answer. Because historically, we didn't. But Belfast has changed. And it's something we need to be doing. Because as God looks down today, he does not see different groups that we label people by. He sees those who are saved and those who are lost. That's all he sees. He doesn't see different color, different language, different culture. He sees those who need to be saved. And as a mission, we have an obligation to take the good seed and to sow it into the hearts of those who are perishing.
Uh, and we do not know when we wrap doors in COVID, we didn't wrap very many doors. Uh, we started and we'll be doing a wee bit more of it now. Uh, it's going out. We usually go out on a Friday morning. We'll take a district and we'll wrap doors. And sometimes the door will be shut in your face. Sometimes you'll be chased by a dog or, or something like that there. Or sometimes the, the, when you introduce yourself, it says, hold on, the wife deals with that sort of thing. Uh, and maybe this lady comes out and you tell her who you're, where you're from or what you're wanting to do. And that's the way it is. But during those conversations, perhaps you might only get one, one decent gospel conversation. But what you're doing is you're sowing a seed that the next person who speaks to, to, to that lady, that man, uh, might be another link. And another link until finally we trust and we pray in the sovereignty of God that person will come to faith in Jesus Christ. The mission is about, church is about individuals who then become part of a family, a great family of God. And we're all part of the family of God, whether it's in Northern Ireland, whether it's in South America, Asia, Africa, whatever. You know, if you're a Christian, you're in the family of God. And you know, with Belfast changing so much, we want to see that family growing and growing. My, I've always said when, when I joined the mission, if someone comes to faith, I would like them to, be, to come in, to be put into a local church where they're discipled and they grow in their faith. We primarily are evangelists. And I think that's where the link maybe can, can become stronger in the, the days that, that lie ahead. I don't have too much more time, but I'll, I'll go on for a few more minutes um, and that. But we, we had to, as I say, when you're dealing with people, you don't know what's going on in their mind. I shared this story in the other church, but it, it type of maybe goes to show what's going on in someone's life. I remember meeting a, a guy, uh, and I did say his name it was Davy, but his first name was Big. It's okay, so he's Big Davy. Uh, and there was a little Davy, and there was Davy, and then there was other Davies. That's the way they're identified by. But Big Davy um, didn't drink, but Big Davy gambled. And he lost his job, and as a result of that, his marriage broke up, he lost the house. He was on the street, ended up in the hostel. But uh, confirmed gambler and that. And I remember him coming down to the breakfast, and he was a wee bit disheveled looking, and even asked to leave the hostel, he hadn't paid his rent and just cut the story short, I was at a, a midweek in a church up the country and I just happened to say, would you pray for, for this man and some lady, a lady just produced some money from her handbag on the way out and another man gave me some money and I came home and I counted that money and it was to the pound how much he was short for his rent and God had answered prayer that night for him. Davy got a flat and I remember speaking in a church uh, down in County Down and sorry, County Armagh, and I had said about the work with the mission and, and we furniture and for getting it for the men's hostel. And this lady uh, said to me, I've got a cooker. Well, I said, that's fine. So I, had, I drove all the way back down um, and got the cooker uh, during the week because this man needed it. And I said, do you want us to get it plugged in? I'm not an electrician. I would go nowhere near it. He says, I'll do it myself. That was fine. He kept coming down to the food bank, but he never took anything um, that you would use to, to heat. He took stuff maybe for the microwave and that. And I never twigged onto it. Somebody says, he's always taking cereal, he's always taking biscuits and things like this. So I said to him, I said, did you get that cooker? Oh, don't you worry about the cooker. But one of his friends told me he plugged it in himself or he wired it himself and he blew the flat up. 
So he did. So the cooker was out of action. So we got him another one, and we did get someone to, to go in and fix it uh, and that. But meeting all sorts of people in all sorts of districts across Belfast for nearly 200 years. And at the staff meeting on Friday morning, quite often, I'm sure Alan's maybe shared this before, quite often one of the men will say, I led someone to the Lord during the week. And, you know, that thrills all of our hearts. Because the work is hard, it's, it's lonely at times, and there's more setbacks, there's more discouragements, but when you get a little nugget of encouragement like that, it just enthuses you to keep on going, because we never know who we're going to speak to and that. So God has been good. Uh, thank you for your prayers and your participation and your partnership with the City Mission. It's wonderful to have churches like this who we know support us and pray for us. And hopefully when you know, we start these partnerships uh, a wee bit more with PCI in Belfast, there'll be more stories coming out of more, more people coming to faith and Christians growing in their faith and so forth. I'll maybe just finish one story, William, and then I'll hand it over uh, to you. Uh, just before COVID, the, lock, the Christmas before COVID, we had a Christmas dinner for the homeless men. And they come down and someone had provided the food for us, come in and cooked it. Everyone was free. The men come down, we had a really good time, and then we had a short DVD message of the Christmas story. During the playing of that Christmas message, there was a man who was in his 60s. I'd never seen him before, but he was a wee bit disruptive. His language was a wee bit coarse uh, and that. And he told the, the man, don't you believe that? That's a load of nonsense. Well, we finished up for Christmas. After Christmas, we come back again uh, to the breakfast. He came in. I made a beeline for him. Uh, and I started to talk to him. I said, you know, tell me a little bit. How did you end up in the hostel? He told me originally from Belfast, but had gone down to work down south in Cork. It was the time of uh, the economy good there, the Celtic Tiger. He was a joiner by trade and he earned a lot of money. He told me that. He didn't really drink, but he started to gamble a few uh, bets on the horses, the football, and then it became a little bit more. And one night he was sitting at a card table across from another man, and he said on the turn of his card he lost €370,000. He gambled his house and he lost. He said he was sick at the table, and he came home and he wanted to end his life. He had nothing to live for, he'd lost it all. And he actually put a rope around his neck, he said. And he sat in the house in the darkness, but the sun came up the next day. He put some stuff into his bag and he headed off. He said he didn't know where he was going. He ended up in Belfast. And so he said he came down in the hostel, down for the, the lunch. He says, but I want to tell you what happened to me after that. Sunday morning, still determined to take his own life. Walking through Belfast, he said he was walking along the, the, the footpath and he stopped dead. He couldn't move. He said he looked to his, his, his left, there was a door. He walked in through the door. An hour and a half later, he walked out, saved. God saved that man at that church service that morning. And you know, he's got a job, he's got his wee flat. I, uh, shortly after, I went down to, to Anna Long to speak to some men with addictions, and he came down and he gave his testimony. And it was just such an encouragement to remind each one of us also that God can save you no matter who you are or what you are, what your background is, what you've done in the past. God is not interested in that. God is just interested in your future. 
and he can give you a future. So keep partnering with us and we'll see great things done for our God. I'll pray and then I'll just hand over to William. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that we can come together as a group of your people on a day that is set aside for this kind of worship. We thank you for the praise that's gone up. We thank you for the children been here. And I thank you for the open book, the Bible. And Lord, I pray for everyone with their head bowed that they will continue to partner with us. And Lord, if there's one even today with their head bowed that doesn't have that relationship, maybe before they put their head in the pillow tonight, that will have changed. And we give you all the praise and the honor, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.